We're here on WSFI, FM 88.5, AM 750, online at WSFIRadio.org. The Deacon's Roundtable here. I'm joined with Deacon Mike Alandi and Deacon Dave Egan. And our boss, Molly, is in the, in the control room here. And we know Dave is from St. Mary of the Annunciation. Dave is from the Diocese of Knoxville, St. Thomas. And, of course, I'm Greg Webster from St. Raphael the Archangel, the greatest parish in the Archdiocese of <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> Mike, as you're choking, would you like to start us with a prayer? Yes, uh, the prayer will be on humility. I think we need that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us ask our Lord for the virtue of humility. We know humility acknowledges that we are mere creatures, in fact, unworthy ones who have exceeded our Creator's hospitality. But also, at the same time, we acknowledge we are made in the image of likeness of God. So may we learn to acknowledge and honor our Lord in all things, so that even as we are aware that we do not know how to pray as we ought, we beseech the Holy Spirit to teach us how to pray. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 So we're in the, almost going into the last half. Uh, I guess we're in the last half of uh, 2022, another interesting year in our lives. Uh, mm-hmm. Still getting crazy, still having various forms of COVID floating around the country. And I know here in the Midwest, my uh, Dave, we have people that are getting it. But fortunately, or it, it's uh, more like a bad flu, not, not anything that's going to send anyone to the hospital right now for the most part. Of course, there are exceptions. We pray for them. But uh, we've had some interesting things coming in the news uh, over the summer. Uh, some of the now, we're not going to talk about the big, big uh, political topics, but one of the things people might not have noticed is that uh, our own uh, bishop, uh, Mike McGovern, from uh, uh, Lake Forest for a while, and St. Raphael, of course, and now Bishop of Belleville, has made uh, some news in that he's going to sell the bishop's residence uh, in the Diocese of Belleville and using the money for some, some funding for that. And... Uh, you know, and we know, you know, we all know Father Father Mike, Bishop Mike, quite well, and we know he's a sincere man and all this. But uh, it's kind of interesting that. Uh, what do you guys think about the bishop selling the bishop's house? I, I don't particularly have an issue with the bishop having a nice house myself. Um, Dave lives in a nice house. Mike lives in a nice house. Greg lives in a nice house. Why can't the bishop live in a nice house? I don't. <clears throat> I have a nice house, but not a big house. I don't have a palace. You're not a bishop. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's interesting. I mean, out in, you know, Chicago, you know, of course, none of these houses, you know, these houses have all been paid for, right? They're, they're not a big uh, it, it, tax burden on, on, the, uh, on the diocese. If, if you come from where I come from, when you hear the word palace, it's not very positive. So when I hear You said palace. Bishop I said and residence. Palace. I said residence. You said and, palace. Uh, when, when they use those words or big residences for the bishop, it, it doesn't sound good. So when they sell it, to me, that's positive. Well, what's what's wrong? Why doesn't it sound good? I mean, every every parish has the has the pastor's suite or, or main main place. So the pastor has a, has a bigger suite than than the than the other priests. Why? What's uh, what's the big deal here? It's probably just I my bias. Go ahead, go ahead. Dave. Well, there's a couple of things that have to go with it. It's first of all, there's you know the financial aspect of. Um, upkeep of the residence, you know, and does it need major repairs in the next five years or so, things like that. Um, but the other side of it is seeing where your priorities are. I happen to be ancient history of uh, 
a current cardinal who was uh, used to be a, a bishop, and he was building a, a a very large residence that was, you know, befitting the diocese, the archdiocese actually, and. I don't know the whole story, but it got back to Rome that, you know, this was going on. It was a time Francis was talking about your prioritization and your expenses and and being doing your best to be a church and prioritizing the two treasures of the church, not buildings. And um, it got back to Rome and Rome sort of uh, had a discussion and the uh, construction sort of stopped or was much less than what it was going to be you know but you know can you justify you know for some of these places spending a few million dollars and down here actually you know a lakefront property of a house it could be a couple million um when there's you know tons of people that really need the assistance like soup kitchens and other things well, yeah, I, so, I, I think certainly you can balance that, but I mean, Wilton Gregory had the same issue in Atlanta, right? And and so it's not yes. an, it's not an un, un, unusual issue, but I think you have to differentiate between building a new house in 2020 and a house like in Belleville that was been around since 1948, and then of course the Chicago has the uh, the house on at Mundelein with the Cardinal's residence, Archbishop's residence, the villa, yeah, and they also have the. Uh, Archbishop's residence that's downtown, who I think one of the auxiliaries still lives, but uh, Cardinal Supic didn't live there. He lives in, in, in the, uh, he moved into the, uh, he moved into the cathedral, but he still has his villa in Mundelein. So it, it's, it's, you know, I, to me, it's just, it's, it's an interesting issue. And I certainly agree with you, Dave, that, that uh, we should be watching the funding and thing like that. But, uh, you know, <laughs> but they deserve, you know, I have, I have a, I'm at a parish where, you know, it's kind of a new parish, so they haven't built a rectory or anything yet. And, I, and I'm always like, you know, our pastor should have a nice place to live. He's our pastor, right? Yeah, my, my experience is a little bit different. Uh, as you know, I come from the Philippines, and I was with the missionaries of the Sacred Heart for my novitiate and scholasticate. And they threw us into a garage. Eight of us were there. They just put up beds, and we lived there. And that's how poor we were. So anytime we hear of big houses uh, in parishes, we kind of don't feel good about it. So every time I hear that people are, you know, bishops are selling their houses and going into something smaller and simpler, I feel good about that. Yeah. Well, I certainly, I certainly, I mean, the, the article here that I have in front of me for, for, uh, for Bishop McGovern, he was in a 13-room house by himself. Now, Cardinal George wasn't living by himself. He had several other staff members with him when he, when he was in residence. But he said they want to sell the house and then they want to use the mo- the, the money for uh, helping uh, women you know women with your children and and the poor. But I was I was thinking it, that's such a stop short term gap. I mean it's one of those things like okay for fiscal twenty twenty two that'll be good. What if they took that land and that house that already exists? Maybe that they could build it into a shelter or something like that. And of course now we're adding money to the diocese and we're certainly not you know telling the, the diocese of belleville what they're doing we're having a conversation but but is is, is this a short-term feel-good solution or is this a long-term solution or um i guess i'm just you know chewing on the whole idea as myself because on the surface it's a wonderful thing and and i and of course we all know bishop mcgovern and and we we, we know that he's sincere in all this but it, it just got me thinking about the uh the whole issue in in general i mean granted 
um, you know, the we don't our bishops probably don't shouldn't be living in squalor, but they shouldn't be living, you know, in in Donald Trump's house in Florida, right? But but at the same time, there there, there are bishops, and and we should we should. I don't. Know. I guess we shouldn't expect more of them than we expect from ourselves. How's that? So, so well, that, I think hopefully I do expect a little bit more than myself because um, I'm not that good. I expect <laughs> them to be a good. I, no, I'm serious. I expect them to be a good teacher, a good leader, a good right. shepherd. But for all the people um, that, that are pointing fingers and saying, you know, bishops should sell a house and give money to the poor, well, you know, those other four fingers are back at us. What are we doing? Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things of your point about building a shelter, um, I mean, besides having to deal with all the zoning laws and all of that sort of stuff, um, yeah, I mean, I could could see that. And you're right that it's probably only one fiscal year that it will make a difference, but it's more of a philosophy in showing that, okay, this is where my priorities are. And there was one of my classmates, actually, he was a pastoral associate down in, in Texas. I want to say Arlington, but I could be wrong. Um, but anyways, one of the things that he instituted um, was when he, he got there was that straight off the bat, 10% of their church collections, the church was going to tie to the poor. And his response to people was, well, if and when we can't, if we expect everybody to tithe, the church better tie to to make a difference. And if we don't, maybe we don't deserve to be a church. Maybe this building shouldn't be here. And it was a very interesting philosophy. And it ended up that they did extremely well because people absolutely loved that approach and that philosophy. And so and if that's what he's trying to achieve, I think that is phenomenal. You know, obviously, there's good things on either way you look at it, but then... You know, do do we have to have each of our pastors and each of you know all the clergy? Do they do we have to worry about people who are going to judge about where they're living and and their their lifestyles and everything I else? Think, I, I think, certainly don't want to go there. I think it's it's it has to do with the you call it philosophy, I call it the spirit of poverty. I think what's important is our leaders exude the spirit of poverty. They 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 could be in a mediocre house or a big house, but it's the spirit of poverty that people see and hear. And then, yes, I understand you make use of the money in a productive way, more for the poor. But I think it's the spirit of poverty that people are looking at. And I think it's a good point, but it has to be balanced. I mean, we can't just hold our clergy to their criteria, that criteria. I mean, if we're going to spirit, you know, you can't say you guys, you guys are clergy, you go be, you go have poverty. Well, I mean, it, it, it's it's a very dangerous, slippery slope. I mean, I've had I've had another deacon give me a hard time because I have a boat that I, I uh, use on the, the chain of lakes. Well, so does a lot, most of Lake County, by the way. And uh, I am i don't have a vow against boats. I don't have a vow against, <laughs> you know, well, I, I, for, 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 for me, it's not an, you know, certainly I can, I can go sell everything and go and, 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 and give it to the poor and all those other specs. And I, and I agree, I probably should, but so should all of us. And just because your wife would kill you, <laughs> add it to the list. But the, uh, I mean, but so, so now we're holding. Now this guy was another deacon that that had that had given me this, this comment. And I'm like, you know, why are you why are you judging me? If this is such an issue, why aren't you going to write? It's like the millionaires just say we should have, we should be taxing millionaires. Well, yeah, go ahead, write a check. Nobody's stopping you. 
Well, I agree with you. We don't. We we shouldn't be judging anyone. But I, I don't see your vote as as uh, something against the spirit of poverty, given your uh, state of life. Jesus, it, wrote it's the way it's the way you are. Okay, if you go around spending money, this and that, it it it, it would show that you're extravagant, that you don't care about others. But if you do, but aren't we getting into the point where we're we're being like the Pharisees, where we're, we're, we're worried about what other people are doing more than we're worried about what we're doing ourselves. And I'm not saying that we're doing that here, but don't we risk that danger when we do things like this? How do we stop it? I, I, I don't see yeah. it that way. It's more a scandal. If somebody is not living up to <clears throat> the spirit of poverty, it's more a scandal. Uh, people see it wrong, and they say, oh, it's okay yeah. to spend that way or to behave that way. Yeah, but who who decides what what is an, a a valid spirit of poverty? Nobody decides that. Each well, one to we, his we own. We all decide that because we're all looking at somebody else, saying, you know, we're all looking at it. Molly's doing it right now. I could, I just saw her. She was she was looking at you, Mike. She said, I, I think you should, Mike should have a nicer shirt. But, <laughs> but we do that. I mean, that's our human nature. We do that. I mean, to to say that we don't, I think is inge- uh, disingenuous. I, I, I don't think it's so much. Mind, I... Go ahead, Dave. Okay. If you were in an order, then your scenario about having um, approval for purchases would be right in line because it's you are giving it's a vow of poverty, and the abbots or provincial would be the one who would be saying that okay, is this a need or is this a want? Sure. Um, so the diocesan group that's not an issue as far as. Uh, having the the resources i mean that's the point of being diocesan point but the, the question that they everyone should be asking themselves um and it's, it's one one of the lines i heard years ago and i absolutely love it and use it often do you own that item whatever it is or does that item own you and if it gets to the point that the items because of your extravagant lifestyle the Items start owning you. That's a problem for you to use it. I mean, like um, going out to a good dinner. It's not something I do often, but when I do, I really enjoy it. I mean, there's a big difference from that versus like going, having extravagant meals every single meal. And, and so that's what's following the spirit of poverty. But you know, uh, going out and having a, a really good beer. I mean. Things like that. I mean, it's not, it's more of the attitude in showing that you own it, it doesn't own you. Well, I think everything owned me for the first 45 years of my life, and hopefully I'm getting better now. But but still, I mean, maybe those people that, that are going out for dinner all the time donate more than I do the charity. How do I know? I, I just think we get in a point where where we can, we, we, we sh- what we should be looking at when we have new items like this is like, Man, the bishop did something cool. What am I doing? I think that's yeah, the, that's I, the way we should be looking at it. That'd be great. You know, it's uh, you know, sort of fun things. And you're right, and you're right about resources. You know, but uh, hopefully, people who are relatively well off are actually you know prioritizing other people versus themselves. And I think that's what Mike was getting to is the view an ideal of poverty it's that prioritizing other people and not themselves yes yes 
So when you know you see somebody with you know uh, a twenty thousand dollar watch, um, and sort of flaunting it versus <laughs> seeing like you know the couple dollar Timex. I mean, there's a point where you want you know on like you would would wear the twenty thousand dollar watch on certain places, but doing it like in a soup kitchen, that is not cool. No, that's not cool. But you know what? If you're showing up to a soup, soup kitchen and with that watch, you're still a cool person. You showed up to a soup kitchen. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. Twenty thousand dollars to Michael Jordan is like fifty cents to me, right? So it, it's it's, oh, it's it's you have to you have to gauge it. No, your your point is taken, but it's just a, it's awareness about other people. Right, but I think we had, it has to be our own personal awareness of other people. We can't agreed. we can't no, spend time being aware of your of Mike's awareness of other people, <laughs> or Dave's awareness, or Greg's awareness, or Molly's awareness. I mean, it's it's a personal thing. I mean, we have to clean our own house. We have to be our authentic selves before we worry about anyone else. And, and I and I think we, no, no we, one, that's what we forget no, about. That's very good. I agree with that. Okay, no problem with that. Yes. Well, we yeah, here. Seems we never quote about a log and a stick. Well, we, we are very thankful for Bishop Michael McGovern. We're very thankful for his vocation, as are all the vocations of the priesthood that we have. And we applaud him for this uh, this aspect. But again, let's think about ourselves. What can we do to, to assist here and, and help people the same way that the bishop is doing? We're coming up on our first break here on the Deacon's Roundtable, WSFI 88.5 FM on your, on your dial, or WSFIRadio.org on the Internet. We'll be back shortly. Taste and see. Drink from the cup of his forgiveness Never mind where you have been before Everyone is welcome Open is his door So come to his table Leave your sins behind Open up your heart to him Seek and you will find Hi, I'm Ava Burke, a producer here at WSFI and a junior at Carmel Catholic High School. We are hoping to expand WSFI to reach up to 8 million people in the Chicagoland area. To help us reach this goal, please donate to WSFI Catholic Radio. WSFI has been a vital radio station with getting the word out to so many people. Many conversions have happened through WSFI, and it has brought countless people back to the church and into the faith. But we cannot expand without your financial help. Please take a moment now to make a donation and go to WSFICatholicRadio.org or mail your check to P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Thank you for your help in making this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity happen. Mark your calendars for WSFI's third annual Fulton J. Sheen Award. Please join us at our fundraiser on Friday, November 18th at the Lincolnshire Marriott Resort. There will be an auction preview at 4 p.m., a private champagne and hors d'oeuvre reception at 4.30, and dinner and program at 6 p.m. 
Our keynote speaker and award recipient is His Excellency Salvatore Corleone of the Archdiocese of San Francisco. We will also have a special guest, Thomas J. Paprocki, Diocese of Springfield, Illinois, and Episcopal Advisor of Sports Faith International. To sponsor this event or to obtain tickets, please go to WSFIRadio.org or call Angela at 224-206-8455. That's Angela at 224-206-8455. Taste and see the Lord is good. Drink from the cup of his forgiveness. Welcome back to the Deacon's Roundtable. This is uh, Deacon David Egan, Dr. Dew from the Diocese of Knoxville. On the second part of the uh, show tonight, we're going to actually sort of talk about the diaconate. In a way, it's a follow-up of uh, a show that we did uh, a couple months ago with uh, Deacon Richard Hutzik as he was uh, leaving his position as a vicar. And they were talking about all the deacons that they haven't we have in Chicago, I believe there's like 600 somewhat active ones and total scattered throughout retired, um, as well as people who are outside the diocese, but are still incarnated in it. Um, there was, I believe it was like 800, 850 people. Yep. And so, so with that, um, so my experience is I was in Chicago church for 26 years or so in the diaconate and since coming down here, um, the diaconate is much smaller. Uh, there's 79 deacons, active deacons in the uh, diocese here. There's a few retired. There hasn't been that long as a diocese, actually. Um, it's still a mission diocese. I'll explain that one in a minute. But um, I was uh, emailing uh, uh, Deacon Greg, and it was made a comment about the uh, there were some people who were appointed uh, parish administrators down here. Um, granted, and two of them were like an emergency one for emergency for someone who uh, the priest who is uh, going through a medical emergency. Um, but we started talking about some of the roles that the deacons have down here, and they're quite active. Um, so first of the diocese of Knoxville, and I want to read something from the mission statement. It was uh, the diocese of Knoxville is. Geographically vast, it covers 36 counties of East Tennessee. It has 51 parish and mission churches spread throughout rural areas, small towns, and larger cities. There are roughly 70,000 registered Catholics living and worshiping our diocese, and they have nearly doubled in size since our diocese was created by St. John Paul II in 1988. Our bishop is uh, Richard Sticker. He's actually from St. Louis. Uh, I don't know exactly how long he's been here, but I think it's been at least 10 years. It's in that neighborhood. Um, so he has the philosophy of using all of his resources as best that he can. Um, and especially with the deacons of some of their uh, roles in past life of like jobs that they held and are things that he needs to have get done that he'll send someone to school to learn. Um, deacons are playing a very active role in this diocese. He said there's only 79 of us. Um, I don't know if even I count because I'm uh, 
officially on loan from Chicago. But uh, these are some of the roles that we uh, have um, for people. Um, so for one of the first is like our chancellor and CEO is a, COO is a deacon. The strategic financial advisor is a deacon. On parish administrators, we have four of them. Um, the director of Christian formation, director of Catholic Student Center, you teach at Nuga, director of Eucharistic Revival, director of stewardship and development, president of a high school, uh, diocesan director for the diaconate. Uh, recently, the CFO retired and he was a deacon. And then there's also someone who's a postulator for the cause of sainthood for Father Patrick Ryan. And there are a whole bunch of other minor roles um, that they're in the diocese that people have, assisting the bishop and doing other things that are all done by deacons. So it's, it's using the best resources. And uh, people were just sort of stunned that such a small diocese was using their deacons so much, doing a lot of these things, freeing up a lot of the uh, priests to do you know, liturgical things, versus Chicago, where they have more than enough deacons to probably run the city if they had to. And it's just a different philosophy and approach. And so just generally wanted to, I guess, talk about that and well, my, how does that fit the role and what people think. My first thought is, you know, of course, you, you, you read my first thoughts in some of the emails, but but after after listening to you, Dave, I was wondering, you know, how, how fair of a comparison is it to make it between Chicago and Knoxville? For example, I mean, the chancellor of Chicago is also a deacon. But, you know, actually, they were, those two went to school together, as a matter of fact. But the, um, I mean, like, in Chicago, we have Mundelein Seminary that has a big pastoral associate program, a master's degree and things like that. Plus, we have Loyola that has a big program like that. Yep. So so we have a, a much bigger pool of lay people as well as deacons to fill these roles than we would have in, in Knoxville, wouldn't we? I mean, just for the oh, nation, yes. besides being a bigger city, but but I'm just saying that Chicago is well versed in pastoral associates and and a lot of lay people to fill these roles besides deacons. Is that I mean we're blessed with a lot of of people who can fill these roles in addition to our priests. Even though I don't think the mentality is the same in Chicago as it is in in Knoxville for using deacons. But but um, I, I just question if if we can make an apple and oranges type of comparison here. Apple to apples comparison, well, I guess. Well, you're right as far as using the um, lay people, and we do use lay people here, but we don't have the buffer of people that you have in Chicago, without question. Um, and But using the resources that you have the best you can. I mean, I know, um, of, you know even many deacons that were frustrated in Chicago because they couldn't do more. I was you just going to mention whether that was a limitation of them or was that a limitation of the system. I don't know. I think that was an impression uh, when when uh, then Archbishop Supic came to Chicago. We got the impression that he wasn't going to use deacons in the roles as much as um, you know he had a preference for using women, and that's all another issue. And, and that's certainly a welcome issue by all. The, I'm not saying that's not true, but but a lot of deacons were saying, "Hey, you have this this force of of clerics here." Many of them who have been CEOs and district managers and, you know, well-versed in business, why aren't we taking advantage of this resource by the way that you're not paying, like you'll be paying, like, some of the aspects. Although a deacon is paid when he's a pastoral associate, but when he's a deacon, he's not paid. Um, yeah. But, but I, I think that there was a, a, a concern 
when because when, I don't think I don't know where it was with Cardinal George, to be honest with you, but but with Cardinal Supic, we kind of got that impression to begin. I don't know that it was a fair impression. I don't know that it, it's actually lived out that way because I don't know. You know, Chicago, we still have enough left clergy, and we've just done the Renew My Church and taken down the number of parishes. Um, we still have a lot of priests in these roles. We're not as fortunately as as desperate as some of, but certainly when we talk about Belleville and Rockford and Peoria and uh, Springfield, they're probably in the, much in the same issue as as Knoxville. Oh yeah, no, I think you're you're probably right about that. I said I haven't done um, a lot of work homework on you know what there are, so, but it was just sort of the approach. I know that Chicago when. Uh, Connor Bernardin was uh, there. They did an experiment where they had three uh, co-administrators dealing with their parish. I don't know. One was a deacon. One was a uh, religious sister. And I want to say the third person was a lay person, but I could be wrong about that one. And that, so they had an experiment of one of doing that and it ended up being you know, a, a pseudo disaster. And hopefully that's not a one and done permanent. But I also know of a parish where there was somebody that was, uh, they were without a pastor for a while because of uh, alleged sexual abuse, and the deacon was actually running the place through that whole uh, ordeal, and was people commenting what a phenomenal job he, that he did, and he received actually a couple of awards from the, the uh, I don't know if it was the diaca, I think it was the, actually the ACP. The uh, Association of Chicago Priests that gave them that award. So it's now it's Chicago Priests and Deacons. Um, so, I mean, I think there is acknowledgement of the skills that, you know, people have for being able to do these things, you know. So it's just, you know, it's a, just an interesting approach to how, how things are getting done. And I think um, in our own cohort, we have, Mike and I have a, have a good friend who's gone to Michigan and he's taken on a lot more roles than, than I say the deacons would be in Chicago and um, I guess you know necessity breeds invention but I, I have to admit I I, uh, I find that attractive in in terms of uh, um, you know in Chicago I don't know that we because we don't have the necessity you don't have the opportunities there's issues with clergy and whether they want deacons to have some of these opportunities blah 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 but um, you know, being in a, in a diocese where that will take advantage of you, the use of deacons, I, to me, is, is very attractive. What do you say, Mike? Just for your information, um, in the Philippines, the dioceses don't have any deacons. They're a deacon formation program, and I've asked around, and th there doesn't seem to be plan to uh, come up with permanent deacons in that country. So I'm just throwing that in as a kind of information. It looks like things vary from place to place. Well, let me let me ask follow up on that, Mike. What would permanent deacons solve? What issue would they solve in the Philippines? Because you have to remember, I mean, as, as as clerics, there's only a few things we can do, right? So it's like making a bunch of permanent deacons in the Amazon isn't going to solve a lot of the issues that they talked about in the in the uh, the meeting they had in, in, in Rome, right? I mean, deacon. Lay people can bring the Eucharist just as much as, you know, and the deacon can bring the, bring the Eucharist, but neither one of us can celebrate the Eucharist. And, the, you know, we can't, we can't do the uh, blessing with oils, and, and we certainly don't do reconciliation or any of those aspects. So 
Um, not that I'm against the deaconate by any means. I love my vocation. But at the same time, when you say, what is it, what is the pressing issues in in the Philippines, and and you know would the diaconate solve it? There's a lot of pressing issues. There's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of uh, uh, domestic abuse, for example. There's a lot of those issues and problems. And I don't think well, the priests. There are enough priests to reach out, okay, and and help the poor. One of the, one of the, uh, I think Archbishop was also, and that this is a recent uh, statement, I forget his name, whether it's Bishop Advincula or what, who's saying they have not reached out enough, okay, to the poor. And and the church in the Philippines need to do that. And so the first thing that comes to my mind is maybe they need the lay people to step up and help in these ministries. That's where I'm coming from when I make that statement. Okay. There are a lot of needs. But you didn't answer my question. What specifically would Deacon solve in that issue? I mentioned one. One of them is domestic uh, violence. They probably could go in there. The other one has to do with poverty. Okay, poverty meaning people are oppressed. Okay, in many ways. One because there are no jobs. Second, well, well, I think you're getting into a much bigger issue than we're talking about here. We're, we need to keep this in in the church the realm of the church, and the church is not responsible for jobs in the economy. Uh, uh, so I'm... They, no, they're <laughs> not... you talk no. about the diocese of uh, their, no, uh, the Philippines don't have diaconate, it has nothing to do with 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 there's too much domestic abuse and there's too much and not enough jobs. That's not an that's not an issue for the church and the bishops to be dealing with. We have to deal with the repercussions of it by all means, but, you know, the church is not going to, to solve a, a, an economic issue like that. So no, I'm no, talking it, specifically for the issues that are facing the church in the Philippines, not those other issues. What is, is, is bringing the act and it going to do? To, it might make you feel good because there's deacons there, but what's, what's it going to solve? Because if we can't answer that question, why do it? I think we need to be able to answer that question. I think we can answer that question. But if you can't answer the question, we're just we're not, we're not dealing with the issues. No, it, it's not. Those, those things are not political issues. They are day-to-day -day realities. And nobody's dealing with them. And the priests and the clergy don't have sufficient means to take care of those. And I think the, the, the lay people okay, could be utilized to take care of those. And they're not political issues. They're day-to-day -day family issues that need to be taken care of. Okay. I mean, one of the things that um, I think that the deacons could be a lot better of every every place in the world um, is really fighting for social justice and systematic change within the lifestyle within the lifestyle of the governments, the communities, etc. You know, so if they were able to do that, I'd say, yeah, they could make, it could make a dent in some of these things. But, you know, the other side of it, yeah, if you have an army of, you know, 100,000 deacons, are they going to be able to actually do that type of change, you know, in a country? Well, I think the answer— and I don't know. I think we have to, you know, our—, our uh, was a vicar form, formation, whatever we call him, you know, Bob Buhala, um, often talks about a deacon is— brings the church where the deacon is he's bringing the church and from Agreed. that aspect then we can say yes we can have we can assist the priest to bring the church to areas where the church is not currently present that certainly definitely needs to be done now granted 
all of us faithful people can bring the church with us, but the deacon formally brings the church as 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 a cleric yeah. in, into that situation. So certainly we, we can be doing that, but I think that's that's we have to be very careful because I mean there. Um, you know, it's, it's not just the deacons that can solve the problems. It's it's the deacons in a just in union with the pastoral associates and and the other aspects, the uh, the, the clergy and the, and the the religious. We all should be a team working together, right? And, and we all and have, empowering have, other people yeah, to make a difference. And we all have wonderful roles to. It shouldn't be, well, the deacons doing it. Why isn't the pastoral associate? It's like what can we be doing together? We should be moving together for that, and, and we shouldn't certainly be in competition with with. And unfortunately, we get we get caught up in kind of that, but I mean, every person on the parish staff is important, right? They, they, and, and no one person can do all those roles. Father certainly cannot do all those roles, and he's asked to do more with much less staff, clerical staff, right? Um, but certainly, the the uh, you know the parish staff we have doing religious ed, I mean, that's a full time job, and, and you know. No, we don't need to compete with them because we can't take that on that responsibility with us and stuff. But but you know the, the the diaconal aspect has to be bringing the church, bringing the sacraments, bringing the the aspect of of serving, and hopefully freeing up our you know the, in Act Six. Let's free up our our priests to to do more of the ministerial aspects of what they're doing. Is is certainly I think the direction that most dioceses are going. Yeah. To, I mean, like, one of the things that I have been responsible for in my parish is uh, been doing all the Anglo weddings, you know, all the wedding preps for the couples and helping them with focus and talking through the issues. And um, some of the weddings I reside at, some other ones, uh, the priests are, depending on what they would want. You know, um, so that's freeing up the priest to do a role that he could do his role. I know some other deacons in the parish are doing... Um, a lot of the, I'm trying to think, uh, annulments, you know, or the sure. prepping for the annulments. Um, and that frees up a lot of time for other people so they can make a pastoral difference when they really do have to have a priest present versus not. And, of course, that's going to be a yeah, so, parish by parish thing because... Uh, oh, yeah, no, I agree with you, yeah. Freedom for, for doing that, but... Uh, we're coming up here on our next break here on the Deacons Roundtable. Thank you for joining us on WSFI 88.5 FM, AM 750 on your dial, org. And if you get a chance, uh, please help the radio station out and give them some of that, uh, this Mother Angelica said, put, put, the, uh, put the check between the two electric bill and the water bill and keep, uh, keep Catholic Radio going. We appreciate you listening to us. We'll be back shortly. Never mind where you have been Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. 
Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MAT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. My name is Father Dominic Pelusi. I'm a member of the Priests of the Sacred Heart. I have been ordained for 41 years. St. Paul tells us, how shall they call on Jesus in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe unless they have heard of him? And how can they hear unless there is someone to preach? We have the opportunity for Catholic Radio to do exactly that, to bring the Word of God into our houses, but more importantly, into our hearts. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MAT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. We are back on a Deacon's Roundtable here on WSFI 88.5 FM and AM 750 on your AM dial. We are talking with uh, various Deacon issues here at the Deacon's Roundtable. And uh, one of the things I heard Dave talking about when he was talking about the Deacons in the Diocese of Knoxville was how uh, Tennessee, actually, I don't know if all of it or much of it, is considered mission territory in the church. And and it kind of rang uh, of interest to me because I get a lot of emails from the Glen Mary organization that does missionary work in in North Carolina and Tennessee and Georgia and and uh, Kentucky and Kentucky I think I think that's a former area for him I was looking up a map today I've tried to get him on the show I haven't been able to to connect with him but um I don't think the people here in in uh southern Wisconsin northern Illinois and Rockford area and Joliet area and and uh, Indiana and parts of Michigan probably have much of an appreciation for parts of the United States still being a mission territory. We don't think about that because, uh, and uh, so when we talk about that, Dave, what, what should first come to mind, what should come to mind well, with us on that? Well, there's a couple things. Um, first of the Knoxville is considered a mission diocese. And by definition, you cannot be a full diocese until 10% of the population is Catholic. I believe that's the formal definition. So currently we're about 3%, but we're right in the middle of the Bible Belt. And uh, there are, just in our local community, uh, within a 10-mile radius, I'm willing to bet there are probably four or 500 churches. Um, There are some Baptist churches that have been around with families and they have their graveyards there. 
there's a whole bunch of storefront churches. It's um, it's a very religious community. It's just that there's not that many Catholics here. But the other part of it, once you get outside the cities, it's also a very rural and poor community. And especially if pictures that you see in Appalachia or just even go through some of the uh, side roads, you can see that there's definitely a group of haves and have-nots. So one of the things that the Catholic Church has done down here as part of their, their mission to live out the ideal of the Catholic Church is they actually have a like a bus, so it's like a, a big RV that is, serves as a medical center for going out to different people. We have a few nuns down here actually from Michigan, from Alma, Michigan. I forget which order they are, and I should know that, but I don't. Um, and one of them is a DO, and so she's the head of the medical group, and they go around and actually are just serving anybody um, that needs medical help up in the rural communities. If you get up into the hills and mountains, I mean, people just don't have access to physicians, and there's no insurance, um, you know, minimal insurance, and they just can't afford it for their normal health care. I mean, they don't have a lot of physicians up there in general because they couldn't afford, they could never make a living with the resources of the people that are there. So it's fulfilling a mission that of bringing the Catholic Church and living out the ideals of what we are called to do as a church. And so it goes to the whole, you know, the community from like, the cities on up to the, you know, the hollows they call them of, uh, and the mountains, those little tiny valleys, and you know, it's so it's just it's, the mentality is that we have to be living out the mission of what the church is about, even though we're a very small minority in this community. So, so let me ask you, because I mean, of course, in Illinois, we hear about all the people that are leaving Illinois for economic reasons and, and moving to Tennessee, where it's so economically attractive. My my friend Deacon Dave has talked about this. And, well, yeah, and, tax wise, <laughs> I got a bit. But there's a very large influx. So, so you don't of, think you don't uh, think about the country. you don't think about the you know the carpetbaggers coming in into the area, and I I was wondering, as you moved into the area, were you hit? immediately that you're in a mission territory or is that something you picked up because you're in a regular beautiful I assume St. Thomas is a beautiful Catholic church so the dichotomy that we're talking about Appalachia versus I don't believe most of my friends that have moved to Tennessee have not moved to low-income Appalachia areas they've no, moved they to have very not. nice areas uh, so, so so can you tell me about the dichotomy because I mean I assume suburbia USA and then we're talking about mission territories. We don't think about that. So how, how does that dichotomy work when you, when you move down there? So w one of the things that um, I think there's a great example of that, there are a number of highways, um, like bridges going through the city, like for the Route 70, 40, the interstates. I mean, they're heavily traveled. And there is a homeless community that... Uh, that lives under the bridges. A lot of them are permanent you know, homes and tents, etc. And I do not know how many people there are, but there are hundreds, if not thousands of people that are in there. A lot of communities, and some of the like richer communities unnamed, um, have been known to take busloads of homeless people and put them right at the, uh, the city border. And so there's one ministry called, um, it's called Carm, it's like under the bridge. And what they do is, is it's a major soup kitchen, and there's people of 
every single religion that you can imagine that's staffing the places. So um, I know that I used to work on them Tuesday nights, um, especially during the summer, um, with this other couple from uh, from the church. And so we just helped doing that. And the people are there. The, all of these different churches work to help people as far as food, shelter, education, um, any way that they can to make their life easier. I know that the teens actually, one of the deacons uh, from Knoxville set up a, I think for the fourth Sunday of the month, they for lunch, they have a big hot dog thing that they do. Uh, they're responsible for and they get donations for the food and they cook it and um, people just come and it's a chance to have something to eat. Yeah, but it's a whole different community that if, if you didn't know, know that that community was there, you would never see it right. because no one, no one would even think of that. But when I first saw it, my mouth dropped around. I mean, I've seen some, you know, pretty bad homeless situations and like Chicago, like little whacker and things like that. Say any that any city has shame. people un, under the bridge and, and I'll cost you time big one. But is there a difference between your, the people under the bridge and rural Appalachia? Are, are they, are, yeah. is, it a so, different, yeah. is it a different community, a different population? It's a very different population and community, and it's a different different mentality. Um, so the people in the city can come from anywhere in the country. So you go up into um, some of the hills and hollows. You have you know people that uh, you, you see sort of the pictures of like uh, they don't have a lot of warm clothes. You know they may have one pair of shoes. Um, they are dealing, with, for example, the coal mines. The those were great jobs, and they're all at one point you could actually, you know, afford having stuff for your family. You know, but you would see these people that would uh, realistically be starting to die when they're in their fifties and sixties from you know, coal dust and other things. Um, there were no resources for them to do it. They were being sort of not abused by the employers, but you, know, you didn't have the employers really looking out for their their employees' best interests at all times. So that's the sort of stuff that's um, more of uh, using somebody that, and there's just the no resources that people have as far as uh, being able to stop whatever abuse is taking place in their lives. And it's just, certainly that's an admirable ministry and not demeaning at all, but is that what's meant by a mission territory type mission? Is that a, is that a service of the poor? as we'd see in any city, or is that something specific because of the mission territory? Well, I think... It, that's a great question. I'm trying to think of a, a good answer for it. Um, there's, it's, the, it's the mission of the church, um, but to take that on so seriously in such an important way, when you're such a minority, and... You never ask what religion the other people are. They just see, oh, there's Catholic charities coming in with a health bus. Yeah, so uh, I think it's living out the mission on a couple different ones. One said that formerly there were a mission diocese since it was so small, but it's living out the mission of the church for our neighbor, independent of who the neighbor is. And that should be outside of any territory. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the mission of the church, period, right? Yeah, oh, no, no, I agree yeah. with you, but I mean... But, you would say that you're so small, how could you make a difference when you have all of these other places to do that? And 
I mean, the question also is how well you're accepted. I mean, there's, uh, see, the Baptist religion is the the biggest one down here, but you know, it's, um, you, know, you see, like, First Baptist, Second Baptist, Third Baptist church as you're going, you know, driving. It's like, okay, you know, who made who mad? I guess if someone was going to ask me how, how would it make a difference, I'd say one person at a time, right? You know, it's, instead of counting the numbers, let's count the... The lies. Oh, yeah. doing that. So what do you think about this, Mike? You look uh, if, if if we go about, you know, percent of Catholics versus you know not uh, not Catholics, and you use it for definition of a mission territory, I can understand that. But if there are a lot of you know people who need help, okay, it may not be classified as a missionary area, but definitely there's a need for missionary activities. And I can understand it, that, that there are not enough Catholics to be able to help out. So I can see that as being a missionary area where probably you ask for more help from other dioceses. Okay. And I can see that. I can understand that. So like the Glen Marys, who are very active in Appalachia, the surrounding area, uh, I mean, they're, they get donations countrywide, or probably not worldwide, but definitely countrywide. And so then they have the resources to make major changes in the community, uh, bringing them things that that are very much needed, but they could never afford. You know, whether it's uh, you know better schools or healthcare or setting up, you know, people to start a business, so helping others. I mean, it's small things like that, but um, they're very good about you know using whatever resources they have, and uh, no one asks. I have never had anybody uh, heard anybody ask, well, you know, what religion have you so if I can serve you? <laughs> are the Glen Marys prominent in the diocese? I mean, are they because they're out, they're they're out on the edge the so you don't hear them? Yeah, they're, they're more so the area, not so much in the diocese. Yes. I mean, there's, I mean this is, even though Chattanooga is, I don't know, I don't even know how big Chattanooga is. Um, I mean, uh, Knoxville, Chattanooga is also another big city. That's still part of this diocese, because it goes quite a bit. It goes from the um, Tennessee is split up to east, middle, and uh, west. So it goes up to the central time zone from the North Carolina to the central time zone. Uh, after the central, that second international diocese, and it goes from Kentucky on the north to Georgia on the south. It is a very big diocese. Right. But, you know, I mean, you, never hearing the, the, one of a, our bishops calling them, like they thought Lake County Vicaria one was big. There's just a question I have for if it's considered a mission area. I wonder how many religious societies or organizations are in that area, whether it's well saturated by religious societies and organizations. I know the biggest one that I know is Glen is Glen. Yeah, I, would, I would guess no, but you know it was interesting. I was just thinking about you know. When I asked about you know how prominent or active the Glen Marys, I mean in Lake County, up, we have the Franciscans at Marytown, and um, to be honest with you, I can't tell you what they're up to most days. <laughs> you know, I I know that you know Marytown and things that stuff are going on, but but you know that that order could exist here in Lake County, and very easily I wouldn't know about it. I mean, if if I know it's going on Mary Marytown because I went and go. I was interested in what was going on, but for the most part, if there was Franciscans working in Lake County, how would I how would I really know that so much? Because the diocese is going to focus on diocesan 
parishes yeah. and activities and things like that. That's why I was curious how much you interact with them. So, uh, yeah, I have had absolutely, I'm trying to think, probably zero interactions that I could think of. Um, I may have met someone, but that's about it. Um, but this is, we also have there's quite a few people that are in the seminary. They actually at, they go to St. Minard's in uh, Minard, Indiana. And they're going from, from very diverse areas in this diocese. Uh, I think last year, oh, this year, we there was ordained uh, three transitional deacons, and I know there's a, at least two more for the following year. So, I mean, I mean considering the size, there's quite a few priests, actually, that are coming from this area. The uh, would, would you say the people of St. Thomas, would, would they know their mission territory? Yeah, they would know that they will have at least had mentioned to them that it's a mission diocese. But if I asked them what the definition of a mission diocese, I'm sure they couldn't tell me. I think for, for you, know, you tell me difference, but I think on any given Sunday, what's the difference, you know, in, in the parish life, right? Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, they just know that, you know, the Catholic Church is a minority relative to the Baptist Church. I mean, this is, without question, the Bible Belt. We've established yeah. the deacons yeah. aren't as good, but just the ones coming in from Chicago, I, so I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'd probably get a lot of arguments on that one. Um, but you know, it's just, uh, it, it's just, it's a different world down here. I mean, more often than not, um, I'm told to have a blessed day when I'm out shopping. I mean, I don't know, I can't ever remember hearing that in Chicago. Well, we are getting to our uh, favorite time of the year. I do love to say Merry Christmas to, to people in stores and see if they feel like they can answer back or what they're going to do that. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to ce- I'm going to celebrate the incarnation of my God and, uh, and celebrate uh, it. Yeah. You will not have any issues down here with that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think it was a... Uh, I guess I was surprised when I went to Michigan. I think it was was where where all my kids have lived. I think those schools were most apt to have Christmas things in the school. Of course, that was you know ten fifteen years ago. Who knows what they're at now? But um, I don't think it's as restrictive. Uh, I don't know what they're doing in Chicago anymore. My kids are older, but uh, I imagine the Bible Belt's probably a little bit better about letting kids sing Christmas carols and things like that. Oh yeah, I mean there's uh, actually a lot of the big churches um i know like the baptist church we have a, a community church as well as a baptist church in this village and they both put on very big christmas concerts and the uh, actually the baptist one puts the whole story of uh of luke into music amen and let, let's hope that all of our listeners here at WSFI 88.5 FM on your on your FM dial, AM 750, enter into this this coming, you know, finishing up ordinary time and coming in Advent. we, we got a lot of work to do. That new evangelization started by John Paul II is is so needed in our church right now. We, we need to not, not, not only evangelize the world, we need to evangelize our families. We need to evangelize society. We need to evangelize within Christendom. As, as we depart here from the Deacon's Roundtable, and, and thank you everyone for listening here at WSFI, let us take a moment and, and be in thanksgiving for our priests and our bishops and our leadership in the church. And be in thanksgiving for all our parishioners and all our parishes and, and for WSFI, for, for preaching the faith of Jesus Christ. And let us show everyone the faith of Jesus Christ by the lives that we live. We ask Jesus to bless us all. We ask Jesus to bless 
this radio station and to bless each of our listeners and even those who don't listen because as Christians we're called to want everyone to join us in eternity. We pray Jesus for your love, for your faith, for our faithfulness and your health. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.